When we are persecuted for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to call on our Lord Jesus Christ to help us. And he does. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Henry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery as we go through the Bible in one year. We're in the book of Psalms. And today, persecuted church, we are talking about what to do, how to pray when we go in that direction. So it's going to be a very interesting time as we teach. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at lions today, both lions in ancient Israel and the use of lions in the Old Testament. Ryan? Today is part of my creation series. We're going to go underwater to see some of the largest fish that God ever made. Underwater. That's going to be really good. Okay, very good. Look forward to that, Ryan, coming up in about 20 minutes. Janice? But I will sing of your power is my segment today. All right, very good. Get the Bible out. Let's open it up and let's look at what God has said to us. Psalm 59, verses 1 through 10. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me, not for my transgressions nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me and behold. You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Selah. At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies." Psalm 59, verses 1 through 10. Psalms 55, 56, 57, 58, and 59. Five chapters today that we look at. And when we refer to the enemy, we often mean those who hate us, don't we? But you know, there are different kinds of enemies. Those who hate us without a cause and those who hate us with a cause. Psalm 59 was written during a time when jealous King Saul sent men to watch over David's house in order to kill him because of his success in battle. But David did not hate Saul, and his desire was never to upstage or overthrow the king. When Saul was relentless in his pursuit to kill David, seeing him as an enemy, and a threat to the throne, David would not bring the same retaliation against Saul. Now, when we love the Lord and we follow his ways, that's important, the Bible tells us that we are obligated to serve the government well. And still, 
there will be those who choose to hate us simply because we love Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that interesting? And I, I can tell you, I, I don't know what that hate is. I do know that that hate is there. And uh, I want to tell you that we're going to see some interesting movement in this as we are in what I believe to be the end times. But that's just subject for you to determine yourself. Today, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. This is the May Bible guide. And we sent that out to you. Hopefully you have it. And uh, so when you, by the way, thank you so much for your donations. We really appreciate them. They help us to stay alive. That's the only way we have of support. So I want to thank you for that very much. And we trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So we don't, you know, suggest big numbers or anything to, to give numbers to you. But we just say, pray about it. Pray about it and ask the Lord what he would have you do. And uh, just do that. Do whatever God tells you. And we will live accordingly to what God provides for us. That's what we do. We trust in the Lord. Very interesting. Anyway, our enemies is what we tune into today. And if we go to the Bible guide on the website, you're seconds away from getting it. Let's pray and ask the Lord to show us the truth because so many of us are confused about this. Father, help us today. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us in our thinking. Now, I know a lot of people haven't really thought this through. So, Lord, help us to, to, to change our thinking the way the Holy Spirit desires us to think. Help us to change the way, you know, we have patterns we've grown up with and all that. But Lord, some of those patterns may not be right. They may not be applied in your word. So help your word to change the way we think. Teach us your way and show us your path. This is our prayer. That's what we pray today in Jesus name. Amen. Hopefully you prayed that prayer with me so that you're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us in Psalm 59. Beginning with verses one through two. Here is what the Bible says. It says, deliver me from my enemies, oh my God. Now that's a good request right there. That's how he starts the psalm. Defend me from those who rise up against me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's a really good one as well. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. Now this is interesting because in times of trouble, we call on God. And he responds. He responds. We must side ourselves with God who will always win. Now, the Bible tells me in the book of Revelation that God will win. And we have to side ourselves with God. Remember Revelation 19. God will come back and he will make everything right. There's not one thing anybody's getting away with. Everybody has to give justice to why they treated the same way. Now, I, I've taken Jesus Christ, so I'll be facing the judgment seat of Christ in which God says to me, what did you do with what I gave you? And so I have to say, well, Lord, I tried my best to do as much as I can. Uh, and, and God will give me my rewards accordingly. And the same with you. But if you're not a Christian, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and your Savior, after your death, there is another case you will face. That is the judgment seat of God and the decisions already made. If you haven't accepted Christ, that's it. God said there is only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus Christ. So this is important to hear. He says, deliver me from my enemies. Help me. God, I need you today. Psalm 59 verse three says, for look, they lie in wait for my life. 
The mighty gather against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. So awake to help me and behold, take note. Now, this is interesting because our second point is important. We should call on God when we are persecuted for loving him. Now, keep that in mind. Call on God. God can do anything, so call on God. God has a way or makes a way to help us in impossible circumstances. Now, this is important for you and I to understand. There are creative ways that God moves in and uh, overcomes situations and shows us how we can get out of those situations and shows us how to go through the situations. And we can't tell what we are supposed to do except the Lord leads us. So God has to lead us. And I'm talking to many people, many thousands of people who are persecuted. And I'm talking to you overseas and you know what I'm saying. There are some ways that nobody can understand except God. But God understands And this is the way we need to do. We need to pray as this psalm tells us. Very, very important. Now, let's go back to the psalms and let's look at chapter chapter 59, verse 5. You therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressions. At evening they return. They grow like a dog and they go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips for they say, who hears? But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. Now look at that. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. This is incredible. God will always make right that which is wrong. I want to make this point very clear. God will always make right what is wrong. Nobody gets away with anything. We must allow God to intervene and teach us right from wrong. God is the one who teaches us right from wrong. Beloved, we need to understand that. We need to realize as believers in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer, I understand. I encourage you to become a believer because this is opening up your heart to God and allowing him to work in your life. This is very important. It's not political or social or economic. It's spiritual. And beloved, when you open your heart to God, He teaches you and shows you things and you begin to understand your purpose in life. And so, beloved, we need to understand that it is God who leads us. And today we pray, Father, lead us and help us right now because things are very sketchy. So we need to follow you.
Today, you and I are going to be focusing in on lions, the animal. First, we're going to be looking at them uh, as they were in ancient Israel, but I also want to take a look at them in their biblical context, so how the Bible uses them in differing ways. Uh, for example, in our assigned reading today, both in Psalm 57 and in Psalm 58, uh, David compares his enemies who are actively pursuing him two lions with ferocious fangs and, and calls on God to deal with them uh, in a really interesting, animalistic almost way. So let's take a look and see what we can learn about ancient lions. The lion was one of the main predators of ancient Israel and is mentioned often in the Bible. Today, the wild Asiatic lion is extinct in Israel, though a modern cousin lives in captivity thanks to conservation efforts. From references in the Bible, we know the lion once could be found throughout the land of Israel, regardless of topography. They were considered one of the animals that shepherds had to protect their herds and flocks from. Even David, before he was king, claimed to have defeated lions attacking his sheep. Lions are also said to have occasionally attacked humans. It's an interesting correlation that just as the role of shepherd was associated with kings, so was the lion. As shepherd of the people, it was the king's job to establish and maintain order and safety for his flock, protecting them from predators and dangers, and providing them with sustenance. On the surface, the mighty and terrifying lion also provides an apt symbol for the power, strength, and persistence of a good king. As king of the wild, the lion fears only man. As king of his nation, the ruler fears only God, or the gods, depending on his culture. The lion's association with kingship may reach even deeper, as expressed by Neo-Assyrian culture. Their empire was the one that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and severely humbled southern Judah. On the walls of excavated Assyrian palaces are carvings that depict royal lion hunts, and explanations of these hunts seem to move them beyond sport and into ceremony. The Assyrian kings believed they had a mandate from the gods to bring nature or the wild under control, to civilize even the wildlife. The lion served as the symbol for all this untamed chaos. By successfully hunting a lion, likely as part of their coronation, Assyrian kings took the place of the lion as king of the untamed world. They would not only protect their citizens from the wild, but actively had power over it. The lion's kingly association is more ancient than the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Kingly lion hunting scenes survive from the third millennia BC kingdom of Uruk, as well as from Egypt, and lion imagery adorns a king's mace head from Kish. In the Bible, King Solomon's throne was reached by six stairs flanked by a total of 12 lion statues, perhaps symbolizing the mighty king-like power of the 12 tribes of Israel, ruled over by the ultimate king, himself. At least in that early time of kings, it was a mighty thing to kill a lion, as seen by David's claim to have defeated them, one of his mighty men claiming the same, and of course the famous story of the judge Samson killing a young aggressive lion with his bare hands. It's not known if Israelite kings ever participated in kingly lion hunts, but it is possible that there were some unlawful lion cults or ceremonies that took place. This is hinted at by lion-shaped cult objects and by a lion bone found in northern Israel's apostate high place. 
This study can be done with so many different animals. The Bible really does utilize nature, especially here in the Psalms and the Proverbs and in the poetic books of the Bible to convey spiritual truth, to uh, you know, convey different emotions and different uh, reactions that an ancient person would have when thinking about some of these animals. So more animal studies to come, but this was just one you, of them. You know, it's interesting <laughs> because animals uh, have changed as humans have changed somewhat through the years. Uh, in terms of devolving and, and all of that, but they don't have as many lions as was reported in the Bible. And uh, I find that fascinating because topography's changed a lot. Uh, yeah, well, and, and um, you know, just all the different, you know, Israel has been a, la a land that has changed powers so often in history and, and has seen so much warfare. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really interesting when you when you get into it, there's a lot of really interesting rehabilitation projects with nature. But then do you really want to rehabilitate some of these larger prey animals? That's that's another debate. In fact, <laughs> yeah, there are people who are in the process of rehabilitating plants there too. Yes, so yep, it's really, absolutely. really interesting how that develops. Thank mm -hmm. you, Corey. Mm -hmm. All right, well, in conjunction with our reading through the book of Psalms, I often like to turn our attention to God's creation because the Psalms extol God a lot as the creator. And for the past several days, we've been doing exactly that. And today is no different. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, today I wanna to go underwater to explore some of the largest fish that God ever made. So let's go. In 1975, millions of moviegoers shuddered at the depiction of the great white shark in the blockbuster hit Jaws. Yet few would have realized that there was another type of shark deep within the ocean that could have easily swallowed it whole. The megalodon was a massive shark that could grow to a length of 50 feet or more. It was longer than a school bus and weighed at least 20 tons. Its dorsal fin would have stood about six feet above the water and its teeth could be larger than a man's hand. With massive jaws that could open to seven feet, it could have easily devoured a small fishing boat in one bite. Because sharks eat about 2% of their body weight per day, a 20-ton megalodon would need approximately 800 pounds of food every day. But some scientists believe that an adult megalodon could have weighed up to 65 tons, which would mean a food requirement of 2,600 pounds daily. Interestingly, megalodon teeth are found everywhere around the world, and some even appear to be remarkably fresh. This has led some to speculate that megalodon may not yet be extinct. As one researcher notes, in 1918, a group of lobster fishermen in Port Stephens, Australia, reported an encounter with a quote, immense shark of almost unbelievable proportions that devastated their catch and left them in a state of shock. Megalodon would not be the first creature known from its fossils and believed to be extinct to have later been discovered still living in the sea's massive depths. Another candidate for Jaws, had the movie been made thousands of years earlier, could have been the extinct Dunkleosteus. With possibly the most powerful jaws of any living creature, this fish could devour a shark with ease. Although it lacked actual teeth, it had two razor-sharp bony cutting blades instead. The edges of these sharp plates were serrated, just like a saw. Dunkleosteus could grow to be 30 feet long or more and could weigh up to one ton. In fact, its skull alone was more than two feet in length. 
Most intriguing, though, was its defensive system. Its body was not covered in scales, but its head and chest region were protected by hinged body shields, which acted like very effective armor plating. Another giant fish, called Zephactinus, was nearly 20 feet in length and could weigh more than 800 pounds. In fact, the fillets from it could feed a family of four every night for over a year. Still, all of these predators do not even come close to the largest living fish within our seas. Indeed, Rinkadon has a length of up to 65 feet and weighs in at 15 tons. Although the largest, Rinkadon, unlike the Megalodon, Dunkleosteus, and Zephactinus, is completely harmless to humans as it eats only very small plants and animals. So I hope you enjoyed the report as much as I enjoyed putting it together. You know, it's magnificent creatures like these that really remind us how big and magnificent our God is. And what else can I say other than what the psalmist declared in Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And that really says something about the voice of God. About, mm. I mean, his words last forever, but they change things. Mm -hmm. God changes things. And I know there's people who believe that people don't change, but they do with the help of God. Uh, that's very, very important. Thank you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And before we go any further, remember that we are on Facebook, we are on YouTube, but also now on Rumble. Uh, so uh, if, you, if you're on Rumble and you like that particular social media platform, well, we're there. Look for Bible Discovery TV on Rumble. All of our programs are there as well. Janice? Well, uh, this is such an interesting psalm, Psalm 59. And, and David is really crying out to the Lord here. And he is being... He's being um, sought after by Saul and his men. They're waiting for him. That's how this psalm was written. Um, Saul wanted him dead. And David is crying out to the Lord because he said, there's nothing that I've done. Um, there's nothing that I've done to provoke this. And so he's coming and he's asking God for help. And I just found it really interesting this time as I read through it this year, um, how our words and how our mouths are effective um, as believers and non-believers. And David compares these enemies of him like growling dogs. If you look at verse six, at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are, are in their lips. For they say, who hears? And of course, we know as believers that God hears. God knows. He, he hears and knows everything about everyone. This swords are in their lips reminded me of our sword. Our, our weapon um, in the spiritual world is the word of God. And that's what needs to be on the lips and in the mouth of the believer. Not cursing and lying and, and um, deceiving. Those are the things that are in the mouth of the enemy. 
But David comes back and, and he calls on God, my God of mercy shall come to meet me. And then he, he talks about the, the, the sin of, of the mouths of the enemies again. And he says, for the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying which they speak, our words are very, very important that which we allow to come out of our mouths. And then again, he brings it back. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. And I thought that's what happens. These enemies, these ones who choose the words of lying and cursing and and dishonesty, when we choose those words, uh, that and that's what we stand upon, it, it sounds like howling. There's, there's never any satisfaction. But when we give ourselves to the Lord and the word becomes in us, when, when we speak the word of God, it is God who satisfies us. And it changes the way we think and it changes the way we speak. And if it hasn't, if, if your words haven't changed, if your thinking hasn't changed, then I would, I would submit to you that you need to take a really close look at how you have committed your life to Christ if you are following him. Because there are things in his word that we read that we understand. Oh my goodness, when we're reading it, we think we're, I'm very far away from that God. Please help me to change. And God will help you to change. That's what his Holy Spirit does within you when you ask Jesus for his forgiveness, it's like a light comes on inside of you and Holy Spirit takes up residence and helps you and teaches you, but we have to be obedient. We have to listen. Where am I going with this? So they howl when they are not, if they are not satisfied, the world will not satisfy you. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy you. Only Jesus Christ, only God Almighty himself can satisfy. And his word brings that into our life. It's the bread of life. It's the living water. Here's how David responded to that. He said, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. We will have trouble in this world. Jesus told us that we would, but he has overcome that trouble. So let's remember where to put our words and our praise, not in ourselves and not in this world, but in God. David continues in verse 17, and with this I'll close. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, for my God of mercy.
Thank you for joining us on the prayer meetings at 3.30 to 4.30 New York time or Eastern time. Uh, this is a time when we get together and pray on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV. And I want to encourage you to come and join us. It continues to grow. Today we need to pray. And as we do so, let's pray this way. Lord, you are my God and I put my trust in you. Please help me to come to you and give my thoughts to you in Jesus' name.